Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of All My Friends. How you doing? Mentally, are you good? Physically, are you good? What are you doing to keep your sanity? Now, some people are howling at the moon every night at 8 p.m. no matter where you're at. We have in my household, and we're not the only ones out there here in Laramie. So join us around the world and howl at the moon at 8 p.m. wherever you are at. And as we get closer into these summer months, right now spring months, um, I know the sun won't go down till later, so maybe we'll extend the time to 9 p.m. There was a full moon earlier this week, so it's helping us keep connected while we're staying disconnected. So join us next time, wherever you are at, 8 p.m., wherever. Howl at the moon. My guest on tonight's show is Josh Clapp. I've known him for roughly 17 years. And well, I didn't know as much about him as I thought I did. So he was a great guest to have on the show. So you're a Wyoming kid. Where were you uh, born and raised? Uh, so I actually, I was, I was born in Oregon. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, Burns, Oregon, <laughs> home of home, home of uh, wildlife refuge takeovers and things like that. Uh, but we, uh, my family moved from Burns, Oregon, to uh, northern Montana. My dad worked in a uh, an underground silver mine. He was a heavy equipment operator. So we lived in, uh, I think Troy, Troy, Montana, sort of up near uh, Canadian border, I think, uh, and then. We then had family here in Wyoming, so we moved here when I was five into Fremont County. Um, so about halfway between Kinnear and Crowheart is where my family had a ranch um, and lived there, and then moved into into Kinnear, Wyoming. Right, so uh, it's outside of Riverton. So, did your parents meet in Oregon? Are they native Oregonians? No, I think I my they went to high school. They were in high school in Montana. I, I think, I think that's, yeah. Um, and so they met their families there. I think my mom's family, uh, is originally from like Wisconsin area. Uh, my grandfather he passed away a couple years ago, but a world war II veteran, um, uh, was got escaped concentration camp. I think a couple times, but then, eventually was liberated and things. So came back and was in Wisconsin area and uh, did a lot of stuff. And then they're up in Montana. And I think that's where they, where they met. And, uh, so there. are you the only one? Do you have siblings? Oh yeah. Yeah. So I've got, uh, I'm the oldest, uh, I got a younger brother. He works for, uh, he's a trophy game biologist, uh, for, um, uh, uh for the state, uh, working for Game and Fish, and then my sister is a teacher in uh, high school teacher, or I think high school. Yeah, she's teaching high school in Lander. Oh wow, they all stuck in Wyoming. Yeah. Uh, what's the age difference is there? Uh, my brother is about two years younger than me. Uh, my sister is about six years younger, so she's uh, she's quite a bit younger than the other two of us. So. But they both, uh, my sister has two daughters, so I've got two nieces there. Uh, and then my brother 
uh, just had a, uh, his first kid. So his son uh, was born in the fall. So uh, yeah, I've got doing uncle stuff. Nice. I'm there as well. <laughs> a couple siblings <laughs> and kids. So yes, I'm an uncle as well. Um, so you were the firstborn. Did you find that the other kids were treated differently as far as like baby or brother, middle child? Like, did you have to lay some ground for them to get away with some stuff? I don't know, man. Like the, so we were pretty, pretty ranchy yeah. <laughs> growing up. So, uh, you know, my brother and I were out sort of doing a lot of like farm work and stuff like that uh, pretty early on. And we were, I mean, we're a couple of less than a year apart, but, or excuse me, less than two years apart, but uh, we pretty much did. Justin and I were out doing stuff. My sister being a girl and quite a bit younger than us uh, felt that that was unfair. Did felt like she maybe didn't <laughs> have to do all the outdoor uh, hard forced labor uh, that we got as, as kids. But uh, yeah, between Justin and I, uh, yeah, he's a, I was I was more of a laid back kid. I was a I was a a, a bookworm and, and read a lot and stuff like that. He was more sort of active and, and sort of outdoorsy. So yeah, I'm a university professor and I sit in an office all day and he wrestling mountain lions and grizzly bears and stuff. So it played out. That's played out. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, when did you find yourself going to work for your parents where they were like, "All right, you're five, time to run the tractor," you know? Yeah. No, seriously, it's, it's funny. <laughs> um, it seemed normal, you know, at the, at the time, right? But uh, uh, I remember we at the so we're living at uh, my family's ranch, right? It was a big, uh, uh, big compound thing, right? And I, we had what we were supposed to feed pigs. That was like like our first chore was, and I was probably had to be like five, five or six or something like that, right? And our uh, job was to go out and feed uh, feed pigs, and so then. But then, yeah, early on, like driving, uh, like steering a truck while my dad fed cows off the back and stuff like that. And then, you know, starting to like cut hay and, and do stuff and then like, get in trouble. Like if we screwed up a piece of equipment, my dad's like, what are you thinking? I'm like, I don't know, I'm 10. So I don't, <laughs> you're, the, you're, the, you're the one that put a 10 year old on a piece of equipment. So <laughs> I hear it feels like. Well, at least of our generation, you're a little bit younger than me, but like <clears throat> I was mowing lawns yeah. at nine, probably maybe earlier or mowing the lawn. Yeah. My dad would just said, your grandpa lost three fingers touching that blade. So don't touch the blade. And I was like, yeah. I hear that to the day, <laughs> to the day about it. And I guess what? All my fingers got them. Yeah. Cause I hear it, heard it all the time. And I was yeah. like, yeah, well, they make mowers. So when you turn them over, they shut off. Like I'm just going <laughs> to keep it running with my hand in there. So yeah, I can imagine being on a farm. Like I have a lot of friends that definitely grew up on ranches and all that. We're like, yeah, well, yeah, we got to put work early. And um, my girlfriend's nephew, nephews and niece, they're on a ranch out in Nebraska or a farm, a tiny farm. And I'm always like, when are they going to work? When are they going to learn? Because they're all digital age yeah kids that don't know and they need to be out in the field soon because they're too soft well it's at the time right like i remember griping about it being uh envious of all my uh friends who lived in town and in town is pavilion right okay yeah yeah. (laughs) like uh but uh you definitely you get to be resourceful and you have like a full like there's way too many things for you to be screwing around with than you should are old enough to be screwing around with in terms of 
it's a lot of building weapons, right? Yeah. And the uh, 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 commandeering like farm equipment and materials to build like tree houses and stuff like that. And you're just out kind of doing your own thing. So it was, uh, it was a pretty, pretty cool way to grow up. Yeah, I think so. I grew up with a, an acre of forest behind me connected to another protected acre uh, in Oregon. I'm in mm-hmm. Oregon and then I moved one. Uh, and I'm, I always feel bad for kids that don't have that rural or at least imagination. You got to go figure it out in the, you know, wild yeah. type. Like you had a ranch, I had some forest area. Like, so your imagination ran wild. Okay. This yeah. stick is now a sword, gun, whatever. Um, building tree forts. Yeah, like, definitely. Um, so I, th- I thought, yeah, that was an awesome childhood. I, I feel bad for the people, kids that don't that have a street and that's it, but yeah. you make, well, I, I think it's, it's different. Like, you know, you t- talk about like, t- so Tara grew up sort of in town in a neighborhood and I think it's different, right? You still, yeah. I think, well, I don't know if to uh, now, but like back in the eighties, right. Like they're just like, you get kicked outside and like, you're oh. supposed to be home at like some point, maybe. Right. Street light. Yeah. And then it's just, <laughs> it's just kind of a free for all. So I think, yeah, you, a different type of getting into stuff, but. I had that neighborhood on the other side of that forest area. We call it the woods. So it was the, it was the street playing, grew up playing street football, but we could retreat into the forest. Yeah. Have that as a place too. So yeah, I had the best of both worlds. I lived on like a street that was 45 miles an hour. So scary. So you had to go the opposite. You had to go out the back door to have fun. And yeah, it was definitely a, uh, come home when you hear my voice because my mom yeah. could yell or um, street lights if you were in the other neighborhood. And so, and I developed some good friends over there. So it was a phone call away in Oregon. It rained where I lived. So gearing up for like 10 days in a row of being inside. Yeah. yeah. I'm used to, I was used to it. I figured that out one right now it's working out a little bit. Right. So things to do technology. I was entertained. Music came along. Um, so you probably look for escapes off the ranch so what kind of activity sports did you get into growing up oh boy I wasn't uh not terribly athletic I mean like I said like I was I just read a lot like I was just constantly constantly reading sort of books and stuff like that so I mean like for me it was a lot of uh like I would be sort of hanging out in my room and just sort of read and being quiet like parents don't mind if you're not bother anything. You just got a nose in a book, things like that, or, you know, go outside with books and stuff like that, or then sort of fooling around with uh, my brothers, a lot of making weapons and sort of building stuff and things like that, you know. Um, but when I got into, into um, school and sports, cause I mean, it's, I went to graduated from wind river. Right. And so it's a small school. I think I had like, like less than 30 people in my graduating class. Right. So, uh, not a lot of options. You had the basics, uh, football, uh, basketball, wrestling, and track, right? And those were kind of your four options. But um, started wrestling in high school. Play, we could start playing football in seventh grade. No, that was a lot of fun. Nice. Uh, did, um, you stuck with football from seventh to your senior year. Did you yeah. guys play full 11? What's that? <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. Full no, 11? That was okay. – uh, we were two way at the time, right? Okay. So we, uh, there were, uh, what do we play? Uh, 
there were like eight man teams in the state, I think. Oh. Anna at the time. So I graduated in 98, right? So, uh, 94 to 98. I think Hannah was like an eight man team at the time. Um, and, uh, oh, like Matizzi, I think generally had an 11 man team. We would go play Matizzi sort of in like small schools around the state. Right. But that was, uh, there's a lot of getting on buses and, and sort of going everywhere. So, um, but we had, uh, uh, a good, uh, good group of guys in my class. And so we played, uh, the whole way through, but like in a small school like that, uh, half the people as freshmen are playing varsity just because you barely have enough people to build a team and stuff like that. So we, we took, we took a lot of beatings over the course of that four years, but by the time we got to be seniors, we were a pretty good solid football team. So we undefeated one state. Yeah. Yeah. Impressive stuff. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I understand. I've played against, um, I played in Laramie and I definitely played against some nine men kick out the tackles and JV yeah. sophomore ball. I was like, not good for a big dude, man. Shortest, <laughs> bigger field. You got to run around a whole lot. Right. Um, but my graduating class is 300, which in uh-huh. other states are like, wow, small, but around in this state, like, Oh, that's huge. Like I know yeah. a lot of people are like, Oh, 15, 30. Yeah. I hear you. And so did you guys, uh, did you guys play Riverton and Lander? Uh, we are 4A. Um, yeah. So we didn't – we went to Riverton because they had that bowl, the field yeah. in the bowl. Um, Lincoln Stadium. Yeah, I remember playing there when we were maybe uh, juniors. I mean, okay. we beat them because they weren't 4A yet. They were 3A at the time. Okay. Um, and so we – yeah, and we were a team that – we were good then because it was like you played the same kind of football since seventh grade or mm-hmm. eighth, yeah, seventh grade till – uh, your senior years, like looked alike, played uh, crazy, and I got in on it when I was in eighth grade here, and we didn't win state, but we were competitive. That's cool. Shy of it, yeah. And so uh, I I understand why I mean football. I played both ways, both sides of the ball. We probably enough t- players to I so I didn't, but they weren't good enough. Yeah. So generally, by the time you're seniors, you've been beaten up enough throughout the years. It's time to start and dominate. Yeah. So yeah, it was fun playing football in Wyoming. Was a good time. Hey, you you know you know who uh, uh, hit me the hardest in high school football? Who's that? Uh, Brett Kiesel. Oh my gosh, the beer. Yeah. 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 <laughs> He's playing for Grable. Like he he graduated from Grable, Wyoming. We were playing Grable, I think, when I was a junior sophomore I don't know they killed us it was terrible uh, but we spent like the whole whole week of practice and our coach is like all right they got these two guys who are giants and monsters he's like six six and faster than anybody on our team they're like and so uh kick return they're like all right like instead of just you know going back I was uh, sort of building the wall they like told me uh and another guy they're like all right your job is to slow this guy down so he doesn't kill anybody down at the bottom of the field so we're like okay okay uh first play of the game we were receiving they kicked off uh and so i'm like supposed to get in front of this guy and i said i see his number um and i got like you see it on game film i got popped and like i just go sailing through the air like feet off the ground end up looking out my uh ear hole like it was and then they went out like put like 52 points on it. it was like 52 to 7 or something like that and every time they'd score i'd have to go back on kickoff or on kick return 
uh, <laughs> which is pretty miserable. Yeah, I think my two concussions for a lineman, predominant lineman, came mm-hmm. on kickoff, kickoff return. Yeah, yeah um, running downfield as fast as you can, like running into folks. Yeah, kickoff return, eventually that's how I got my first letter was being on kickoff return. But like my sophomore year, that's when I got the concussion, kickoff return. And then obviously I got better at it because I ended up doing it the rest of my career. And then I believe like one game, we're up in like Natrona or something. We're running up the score and they're like, okay, people are trying new spots. I'm like sophomore. Rude, get out there and uh, play, you know, gunner on kickoff. And I'm like, are you crazy? Okay, fine. Whatever. And so I have no idea what I'm doing. Just run down the field and tackle somebody. Oh, wait, they're setting up a whole thing to block me? Out of nowhere, I get ear holed. <laughs> face mask on the other side of me. Yeah. I have no idea. Like, I just kind of remember pulling the face mask back. Yeah. And being on the sidelines, like, oh. And I went up to the coach, and they all got a fun little chuckle out of that hit. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, don't make me do that again. Please don't make <laughs> it. I was like, they're like, no, don't worry about it. But I, I should have got the ball that game. They gave it to one of our other offensive linemen, and yeah. he scored a touchdown, and I was up next waiting to get the ball back. But they were like, that's how bad the score is being run up. They're letting linemen run the ball. Well, we ran an offense. It was like fullback based, so it was basically running a lineman up the middle a lot. Yeah. So but I, I had to – so I was – I like to tell my coach, uh, you know, they always talk about, you know, you see uh, – uh, Fumble, don't be a hero. Just fall on it, recover it. Like, no, I'm gonna pick it up. I'm gonna run. I'm gonna take it for six. He's like, "Fuck, you better not." If I see you pick up that ball, you're gonna be running. Like, I'm gonna pull you right out of the game. Like, nope, I'm gonna take it. Uh, but we were playing team. We were running way up, and so there's a goal line situation. They like, all right, send me in to uh, uh, run a run it in for two or something like that. And yeah, I promptly fumbled it like I was in the wrong place the quarterback's like nope stand right there gave it fumbled it into the end zone we recovered it anyway so basically it was a successful play but uh, yeah so graduate from high school 98 mm-hmm. like most kids in Wyoming you go on to the University of Wyoming no um, no, no. no. what did you do went to Casper College okay Casper College yeah I went to Casper and uh uh, because Casper is a big city, right? I'm from uh, I'm from Kinnear, right? So Casper's pretty. They got a mall that's fancy. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, city living, man. Um, but so went to Casper College for three years. had a had a super sophomore year at Casper College. So uh, started as an engineering major and was doing good. But I just didn't want to do numbers and engineering stuff all the time. And so I was in a psych class. Was thought that was pretty cool. Um, and so my engineering advisor that I was going to change my major from engineering to psychology looked at me like I was an idiot <laughs> makes sense but uh yeah so uh spent three years in in Casper and then went to uh UW on transfer scholarship so what's the difference of living in Casper or living in Laramie as a student uh I don't know man like I don't know I like Casper I thought it was I thought it was I enjoyed my time there I had a, a good group of friends and stuff like that. And it's, uh, I mean, in terms of Wyoming cities, Casper, I mean, it's got kind of a downtown area, you know, it, it feels, um, I don't know if you got anybody on your 
podcast from Cheyenne. Cheyenne's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> there will be, and sure, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I liked uh, Casper. And then uh, coming to Laramie, Laramie's much smaller than uh, than Casper, right? Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was good. It was it was an easy transition. So now you transferred to the University of Wyoming. Um, you're, are you 21 already? Yeah. Yeah. I just turned 21. So, uh, and this was crazy. So, you know, I, I went through, <clears throat> moved in, uh, when this is how, kind of one of the things that, uh, so when I started hanging out with Ray and Robert and stuff like that, um, uh, because my brother was at UW, uh, with one of his friends from, uh, high school who I knew, um, and so they had been living in the dorms. And so they'd been here for a year, I think, yeah, a year. And so then they moved out uh, and then they got that townhouse on 7th and Flint. All the football players and stuff like that had sort of occupied and stuff. And so they'd gotten that and I'd come in um, and was, was living with them. So that, that was the first place I lived on, on that joint 7th and Flint. Um, and so, but yeah, so I got in what beginning of August or something like that, but then that was 2001, right? So 9-11 attacks happened like right after I had moved. I remember that, you know, very clearly. I had another one of my buddies uh, from Casper had come up. He was still in engineering and being crashed out uh, and getting a call from Scribner. And he's like, hey, you see what happened? I was like, no, I'm in bed sleeping because I'm a psychology major, not an engineering major. I don't have those eight o'clock classes. Uh, but then got up and yeah, so all that, uh, remember that that whole situation happened like right as I had transitioned over to, uh, to UW. Yeah, I was living in New York during 9-11 and I was in bed because I worked the night job. Okay. <laughs> and, so, and I worked in the news. Yeah. So about two phone calls. One was from an ex, my ex-wife saying, did you see the plane crash? And then shortly after was work going, are you ready to come in yet? Or wait, just the way we're going to call you. We'll keep you on the We'll keep you on a call. And then I didn't go on that day, but 9-12 till October, I think. That was crazy. I mean, do you do you remember like at that time? So what I was 21, uh, how old were you? Um, 27. 27. Yeah. I mean, like thinking about like like, oh wow, where's this gonna go? Right. Like, could there be another draft? Could we get like, you know, it is kind of a crazy thing, right? Well, like I it was freak. I was freaked out a little bit, but probably what put me over the edge because living there, I lived about um, an hour from New York City mm-hmm. um, on Long Island. And I remember you my, were on Long Island at the time. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I remember my friends and I were like, "Let's go do something, get this off our minds." Not realizing, oh, U.S. just was attacked. I was just trying to like mm-hmm. figure something. So we go out and like everywhere's closed. Everyone's just closed. We end up at Burger King getting like something to drive through and it's one person working there. I was like, wow, you are just a trooper. Yeah. Yeah. They sent everybody else home. I was like, they're like, I'm just going to work. And I was like, you are a trooper. We're sitting in the parking lot and I look up and an F-14 jet flies over like real deal military. And I was our couple. I was just like, Oh, Oh, that kind of war. Aha. Yeah. So, and then it was full on chase the bad guy. Um, or whatever it was at News 12 after that. And I flew to Wyoming like October 1st, okay. right after that, because I came back for a game. 
Um, and I'd, I'd schedule that for a long time. And I walked through the airport. It was like the easiest flying experience I think I've ever had in my life because they weren't looking for me. I'm pretty white dude. I didn't yeah. meet the profile. Anybody that was slightly dark, pulled over, facial yeah. hair, burr, burr, pulled over left and right. I worked through that crowd. Nobody's on the plane. You got nice, sit wherever you like kind of spots. Right. Um, anybody that looked remotely shady, you know, there's five of us just staring them down like, Ur, you know, yeah, kind of thing. But it was interesting after that. And then that's how I realized, wow, this isn't just a New York thing. This is a United States thing. Like, you went through it. Everybody remembers their stories, but I was in the, in the mix. Yeah. And so I forget that, that it happened all over. It happened in the United States. It happened yeah. Washington, DC and Pennsylvania, that plane too. Yeah. And like watching all the security measures that took place like here. Oh, the armory is now surrounded by stuff. It's, it was mm -hmm. so interesting. And now that we're facing another, like I haven't felt that kind of fear and uncertainty until about now. Now we're facing yeah. Yeah, pandemic so. for sure. Yeah. Um, so now you're in college. Um, how you met Ray and Robert? Yeah. Two of my good friends are at, at Ray. How that happened? Uh, so when I was in, so I'm a I'm a psych major, right, in Casper, and so I'm like, hey, I should probably uh, do something. So like the first, my first uh, summer, you know, I went home. But after that, you know, I was out because uh, I was a, an RA in, in uh, Casper, and that was cool because that sort of took care of housing and stuff like that. And that, that was a good time. Um, and then so I'm there. And then so the first summer I was in Casper, I ended up starting uh, work for UPS, like loading trucks, uh, preload stuff. And so that's quarter to four in the morning going way out in the middle of nowhere, sort of outskirts of Casper to get the UPS. Like that was and I was so excited, right? Because I was making like ten bucks an hour. Oh yeah. Yeah, and I was super jazzed about that. I was like, "Yes, this is a sweet paying job." But uh, that was miserable for a lot of reasons, and so ended up uh, getting a second job uh, doing telemarketing stuff because I had a friend who was doing telemarketing. So I was a telemarketer for like half a uh, half a, a a summer. I, I could I could sell you death and dismemberment insurance, no problem. Really. <laughs> But uh, so didn't want to go back to that. And so started working at the at the Casper Crisis Center, uh, Casper Youth Crisis Center. And so worked there the summer uh, before I came up to uh, Laramie. And so then when I came up, uh, got hooked in. Weird story. So the roommate that I had there with us at Seventh and Flint, he, um, he had connections or had sort of done some stuff. And so then I went through and applied uh, and got hired on there and started working with uh, Ray and uh, and Rob and stuff like that. So started hanging out with those guys. Um, what really attracted you to the psychology field? Uh, I don't know, man. It was just, it was just kind of cool. Right. I mean, like uh, I was an engine, I was taking all engineering classes. Right. And I did get them sort of do all right in that area and was sort of not struggling. Um, but it was just, and I like math. I teach. So that's what I do now is I teach like grad stat and stuff like that. And uh, like some of that quant stuff, it's cool. Um, but I just didn't want to do it all the time. Cause again, I, you know, read a lot and sort of was interested in sort of books and literature and things like that. And uh, you know, engineering stuff's pretty tracky. Um, and so then I had taken a, a site course that uh, uh, 
you know, just a gem psych course. And I was like, Hey, this stuff is really cool. I was excited to go to class and was really interested in the things and had a great instructor. He was fantastic. And so, uh, I made a decision like you do at 19 that don't, doesn't make any like career wise sense. And that's what you know, my engineering advisor was like, so you're going to switch to psychology. I was like, yeah, he's like, you're going to go to school for a lot more, uh, like way longer and make a lot less money. I don't care. This is, this is, this is my passion. Like, cause I'd been in class for like, <laughs> like, uh, six weeks or something like that. So I don't know. It was just interesting. And then it just kind of continue on and fell backwards into the right, uh, in with the right people that helped sort of move forward, make me competitive for graduate programs later on. Uh, yeah, I've did kind of those. I was, I thought I was going to be in marketing. I was in DECA in high school and everything. And um, my stepdad was a, a ran broadcasting program at the University of Wyoming when they had a program or he had, was part of a lot of classes. And he, my freshman year was like, well, why don't you intern for me? Which was kind of unheard of for a freshman at the time, but I carried equipment for him when I was a senior in high school for football games and worked on the coach shows. And so he would pay me like 50 bucks or something. It's a side job that I have to do a whole lot of work without, you know, they, they could watch over me while I did yeah. athletics. My parents weren't letting me work. And so uh, it's like being an intern. For, and by the time I was done being an intern, I was like, oh, I took a class, one broadcasting class. It's that one class. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm in. And it was a significant, like, you're going to make a whole lot of less money in the world. Yeah. And you're going to have to chase around the job because we're going to set you up for like to work in news and you just go to market, to market, to market. Yeah. And so that was, it was great. I was passionate. I loved it. Still good at it. Still like it. Um, But I don't know how I got into IT. Well, I do, but from broadcasting, I was making art. Now I fix things. So (laughs) it's, uh, but I, I, but yet I'm still at the university. I'm back at the university because I left and came back. So clearly with, you got your undergrad here. Uh And from my understanding, they don't encourage you to do the full boat at the same place master's doctorate yeah yeah i mean and, and that's a tough thing right like so uh i love teaching at the university and wyoming students are fantastic we have kids that are brilliant could be anywhere uh in the country uh, and be successful but they just happen to be here um but you know if you've worked uh with um you know professors uh it's really great to go out and get different perspective so to get training somewhere else and sort of just increasing that breadth right um and so uh yeah applied to a lot of different places um and ended up out in at university of buffalo um and they had offered me in like a nice uh package in addition to sort of other stuff and felt like a really good fit um and it was new york man and that, that was exciting i'm going to new york as <laughs> a tough thing growing up in wyoming impossible to see. so I you know did my graduate work in in Buffalo New York it was really hard because if you tell people uh that you're doing your program in New York they think Manhattan like, no, no no it's a different thing yeah uh, but if you tell them back oh I'm going to school in Buffalo they think Buffalo Wyoming <laughs> and so True. it is you know kind of one of those things yeah it was like I worked at a summer camp in New York upstate New York about an hour and a half from Manhattan. But anytime I told people I worked at a summer camp there in New York, they were like, what? I go, the whole state isn't 
wall-to-wall yeah. urban sprawl like Manhattan. Yeah. I go, there are other places. And then, like, to tell them I lived in Long Island was like, I go, yeah, there's this whole island east of Manhattan. It's really long, a.k.a. Long <laughs> Island. But I was like, it's not like you're cruising over the Atlantic. You hit Statue of Liberty, and then there's Manhattan. I was like, there's a few landmarks in the way. And, and I go, Statue of Liberty sits in a, a cove, not necessarily um, in a beach somewhere. Like, <laughs> sits in a bay. And so people are like, kind of, I was like, you got to go see it just to understand the layout of it. And then you're like, Buffalo, New York. I'm like, oh, yeah, might as well be Canada. It's like, I understood where Buffalo is at when you say it. It's way up north. It's probably perfect for Wyoming people, and we all know Josh Allen's there. So it's probably yeah. perfect, the weather I, that I've seen there and everything. So Buffalo, yeah. Buffalo is great. I love Buffalo. Um, it was, yeah, people crap on Buffalo, but it, it's a great – But because particularly if you're you're a young adult, young professional, student, uh, graduate student, it's fantastic because uh, uh, great sort of – really cool at least by the time i got there so i what got there in 2004 and so you know it's got the so kind of that classic uh like industrial sort of town type of thing but like you know there's a lot of that stuff kicked down which made things affordable so there's a like an amazing art scene and really cool bar scene there's a lot of revitalizing stuff like that and they've continued to do that so it's a the one you could live there on a graduate student budget. There's lots of sort of people doing this. A lot of stuff you can do um, is big enough to be cool, but not sort of so great that like you didn't drop a Wyoming kid in the middle of, uh, you know, Manhattan, right. Or LA or something like that. So it was a, it was a, it was a cool spot. Winters get long, but it's by the time you get, this is the thing, Rude. I don't know if you felt the same thing. Like growing up in Wyoming, I might, I get somewhere. Uh, I just want to be able to predict the weather. I just been able to predict. I'm tired of this schizophrenic nonsense. Yeah. In Buffalo, you predict it, man. Like about mid-November, it's just going to be gray like the whole time, and you're not going to get a break until May-ish, right? <laughs> and so that starts to get old. Uh, but overall, is is Buffalo is a cool city. And well, it had an NFL team. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. To be put in a place, got, and so if you even if you're a fan of them other teams come there to play so you can watch yeah. them. Yeah. Tara would do that. She'd go down she'd go down with her friends and like hang out and then like pick up you got scalpers scalping tickets, right? And you just wait till about halfway through the first quarter and then they'd like sell them to you like for ten bucks or something like that. And they'd go in and sort of tailgate wait and then sort of go in half, halfway through. So you speak of this Tara. Who is Tara in your <laughs> life? Tara's Tara's my 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 lovely wife and partner. So uh met with Tara so she uh, was working um, as a research tech uh, in a different lab in Buffalo than uh, the one I was. So I was doing trauma-focused research with adults, and she was doing work in the lab there doing um, work with kids with ADHD and externalizing behavior disorders. And so she is, was working there. <clears throat> she had graduated and was working, had stayed on as a, a research tech. And so we just met through uh, mutual friends and stuff like that. So is it easy having, or is it difficult? I guess there's probably both sides of the ball there. Um, someone being married to someone that works in the same field as you or possibly even working together. Yeah, no, that's a good question, right? Big people like, Oh, you guys sit around and analyze one another. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> I mean, adult work and kid work is really different. Um, it's not, like, so I, 
I'm good with adults. Uh, but if you put me in a, in a therapy session with a kid, not so good. It's just a completely different. I mean, the principles are the same, but just the general interaction and stuff like that is completely different. Tara's amazing. Um, but like people are like, oh, so this is you do. I mean, I could do it. Um, I'm just not very good at it because it's kind of a, a different population. And so, um, but I think we make a pretty good team if uh, there's an, uh, if she's working with a student who has a question about like, diagnostic adult types of issues, I can come through and, and help out with that. Or if I've got uh, like a, a question about like a family systems or a kid-based thing, um, she's brilliant uh, with that. And so um, same field, but kind of different, uh, different focus on populations. In your teaching, your education, um, what surprises you the most about college age students? <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a different thing. I mean, I think, uh, the thing that is really nice about working with Wyoming kids, right. I rarely have, I mean, I've got my, so I teach the only undergrad class I teach is, is psych 1000. So, uh, general psych. Um, and so I get, kids from like only very few uh, of my students in that class are actually psychology majors got people coming in from all over the mix right so you got uh, people coming from kinesiology and and uh, engineering and sort of ANS types of so you get kids from all over the place who are just trying to get their general credit USB ports uh, uh, stuff out of the way and so different motivations and different readiness for university setting you know a lot of them are freshmen a lot of them is this first semester they've ever been at Laramie and it's a bit kind of scary right like oh it's so big and sort of this and that which Laramie's pretty small uh pretty small it's not a big university but if I'm coming in from Farson Eden or something like that you know it's can be overwhelming um and so yeah just a lot of different motivations and things like that you know and some some students are kind of come in and they're ready to rock and roll and some of them are figuring it out. And that's just a, I don't know, that's one of the fun things I like teaching about, uh, or like I like about teaching that big freshman intro class. You're just introducing people to some cool stuff. I mean, it's all psychology, so it's behavior. So it applies to everybody. Um, so it's nice to be able to sort of tie stuff into things that are familiar to people, kind of says kind of a how it works type of thing. Um, and then kind of help them get, I don't know if people come out of my class better prepared to go on and do be successful in classes that are sort of more directly relevant to their major. You're going to fall down, skin your knee. uh, As you come into the university, let's figure it out in intro psych because no one cares in your engineering classes, what your grade was in intro psych, you know, or marketing or econ or kinesiology or whatever else you might be in. That's intro to psych, and it led to cool classes like drugs yeah. and behavior. That was a great class. Yeah, um, the psych class I had with Ray, our mutual friend Ray. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, that was like the only class for being like as tight as we are. That was the only class we had together ever. Probably a good thing. Like <laughs> at the rate he took his undergrad, and mine wasn't that far ahead of him, but it was probably good. We only had one class together. Because right. yeah, okay. this is a good interesting story we're in that psych class and he must be bored or something i'm trying to because it's those intro classes i didn't know how to take notes back then it's terrible i can't believe that a lot of professors they just give them out like here's my powerpoints i'm like 
if you would just give me that college would have been a whole lot easier. I could have just worked off the side and gave well, that's my good. Opinion. That's a good strategy, man. Like you may be amazing. I give people all sorts of materials and they don't yeah. use them. Oh my gosh. I was like, if I would have had that, at least it was laid out in front. So we're taking notes. Uh, I think Ray's taking notes. Next thing I know, I get a nudge and he shows me this piece of paper and it's a keg with a horse's head and a tail, meaning pony keg. And then he says, tonight, like Monday, Tuesday, I have no idea what he was. And I was like, oh, sure, of course. And he's like, all right, right on. And so, but it was that kind of, we probably shouldn't have class together because I'd be distracted by that. And I'd probably distract him as much too. Um, I believe he had Robert come take notes one time in that yeah. class as well. So, um, yeah, it was, that was very interesting. What I've learned about college kids, because I gave all the best excuses. It took me six years to get through school. Yeah, that's fine. I, I missed my fair share of classes. I screwed up a lot. So I employ a lot of college kids. So I hear their, their excuses and stuff like that. And I'm always like, come on, man. I've heard it all. Like I've heard, you, you got to do something better. Like, cause I gave that excuse and I know that's total crap. Cause I gave it when I was at, you know, missing work or whatever, but I was like, do better. They just don't try hard enough. They got so much information available to them to give better excuses than like my dog got ran over or something. Like my grandma's sick for the fourth time, that kind of stuff. <clears throat> so, yeah. is, is it, I don't know. I try not to, I try not to, uh, I've tried to structure my class that, that freshman class to, not worry about it. so like we have uh quizzes or exams every every other week right? and it's good to just kind of force people to stay up on top of stuff but you get to drop one so if someone's like oh hey this happened i'm like cool no worries we'll drop that one right then if they're like oh well i already dropped one of them i'm like okay well you take the optional final replace that one like <laughs> so uh so try 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 not to engage too much in sort of the general chaos that's going on in with students but if someone has something that's big obviously so wanting to uh, make accommodations for them. well now that we're all in this quarantine and everything's online uh what are you doing to keep your kids educated do you have classes do you teach to a group do you teach recordings yeah um i mean i'm feeling fortunate because my uh primary class that i'm teaching so i do clinical supervision with uh, our graduate students and so I got a team but we can do that via zoom um, fairly easily um, but then I'm teaching grad stat so our second semester uh, graduate uh, statistics um, course but that's only I've only got nine uh, graduate students in there right um, and we're working a lot with uh, statistical software and things and so it's actually, I don't know, we just had, we've only done, had one class, but it went all right. I can just screen capture the whole thing. And in Zoom, I've just share my screen and so popping up. So I've got lecture slides that are moving through those um, and then just pop up a statistical software for demonstrations and things like that. I'm recording uh, videos of me working through different problems and just posting those on YouTube. And so um, the online format surprisingly has worked is working all right, um, I think, for that class. Uh, I prefer sort of being in front of people and sort of being in there in the room and sort of going through and doing stuff, but I think this is working okay. Uh, but if I was working, uh, if I was teaching that big uh, gen psych uh, section, that would be tough. And that's my, my concern. I don't know, you know, they're talking about, I think there's a lot of universities already going to planning to do all semesters distance 
just right now, preemptively, um, which probably isn't, it's probably smart to at least be prepared, right? If this COVID stuff kicks back up in the fall, as they think it probably will. Um, but that'll, that'll present challenges, I think. Yeah, it's uh, lying the sports side of you guys. <laughs> yeah. And, um, maybe by then we'll have a better grasp on what needs, how and what needs to be delivered. Or if you can meet in smaller groups, if that helps or, uh, I mean, it's, I worked in digital delivery of classes for a long time in our outreach school and it's a component, but nothing beats face to face and, and learning that way. And, and just being in a learning environment like this, uh, my office is not a learning environment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that's tough. Right. And then, and then just that experience of having people, uh, again, one of the things I like about teaching that cycle thousand class, cause we're like talking about just basic processes and sort of how people think and feel and react and interact and things like that. And it's cool to you kind of see sort of people putting things, uh, students putting things together. And, and so you're asking questions or people come up and have questions uh, about things that are sort of on topic sometimes, but not always. Uh, but it's kind of cool, and it makes it. I'm teaching the same thing pretty much, uh, but it's is never the same class or the same semester because who knows what people are gonna uh, ask you and stuff like that. And it makes it interesting. I don't know, uh, particularly you know, if I've got nine students, I can just call on people. I can say, hey, what about this? What about this? I got 150 people. You can't have that same experience, uh, or I don't know. How you would do that necessarily but we'll figure it out uh if if that's something we need to do and are you doing okay with your quarantines your house big enough <laughs> too small like yeah no tara, tara and i have been shut down since i think the the 14th so the 13th um when things were starting to look like hey this is going to be a thing you know we went to an early dinner at Corona village with some friends, but uh, that was the last time we've gotten together. sort of kind of close in person to a type of thing. Um, so we've been hanging out, uh, sort of doing stuff. I mean, I've been, I've got three students working on dissertations and one working on a thesis. So I'm staying busy with that and getting class stuff put together. But I mean, the nice thing is, right. So we live in Laramie. Um, and we've been going out like using praxis as a way to get out and get some exercise and see people on walks right at a respectable distance, right? So that it's not just like, oh, you know, I'm it's just Tara and I looking at each other the whole time. Um, and then also getting connected with uh, friends who we haven't seen for a long time. It's like, there's no reason you can't like catch up for drinks and just do this type of stuff. So, you know, old friends from Buffalo who I haven't sort of probably talked to for, I don't know, maybe six years or so, just reaching out and saying, hey, how are you doing? And so we got caught up and sort of Tara and I had to sort of talk with her and things like that. So it's been going all right. How about you and Tia? How are you guys doing? We're good. We have a pretty big house. Um, Well, it took a while to get me off campus. Um, I'm still a day on campus. Um, Are they they requiring you to, to be on we became okay. essential. It was yeah. like, I have access to everything but uh, UWPD's office and president's office. Yeah. Allegedly. Um, 
But our main thing was just opening up um, the classroom building. A few instructors teach from there, Wildcast and Zoom. But it's kind of trying to keep that distance too, but keep everything clean. Um, and so it took a little bit. So it felt like I was out in the world a lot. Yeah. Um, or when I was watching everybody else be locked down. Uh, the funeral home slowly and slowly went, you know, they were kind of doing full bore funerals for a while and then they were doing some video conference and then they got the full lockdown maybe a week ago that says you can do things outside um, you can't bring them in um, there's just too much you got to do and it's too many randoms and everybody like oh I can't just have five people at my mom's funeral that's yeah kind of tough but so a lot of the celebrations of life and, and memorials are put off down the line so hopefully they can be done later in the summer or something. Um, so we're not on top of each other the whole time we're at home, um, if we're at home at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I've been home the most. Tia's slowly brought home some work stuff. She brought home a printer so she could do some work stuff here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it's, I make all the jokes, like my coworkers are my cats. And yeah. um, sometimes they're unruly to yeah. work with. Yeah. Uh, and then I had like this office set up where I'm at now. And then I had my laptop downstairs. And so like, if I get up and go do something around the house, I go check a laptop here and there. Um, it started off, I had a lot of work to do right off the bat. And now slowly and slowly, they, they're paying our part-time students, which is good mm -hmm. uh, for the rest of the semester at least. And so I have to worry about them. And now I got some online training, but I have that Tuesday stuff. I'll run out of work to do at home soon enough. And um, that'll be the, the definite hard part of it. Um, even if I go to work, there's work that runs out. And so just besides doing the normal. Um, so it's kind of like, and are getting people on board technology. And so we build rooms, getting them to come into campus. That's crazy too. So I, I don't know. I'll see how, if I'm on the same boat as other people here in a few weeks from, just being around Tia physically, but I see everybody else. I mean, it's, I went to a couple different stores over time mm -hmm. and Safeway was probably the place where I thought there was the most look of panic in people's faces. Yeah, yeah. And like, uh, I remember being in an aisle and like someone turned down the aisle and I was like, they turned away and walked. I was like, as long as you just don't like rub up against me as you're going down the aisle, I think we should yeah. be okay. <laughs> it's hard right it's hard because i mean you want people to and you want to you want to model that type of behavior right i mean are you guys you guys wearing masks now when you go out i have not been out since the mask order okay and that's what and then so i asked for tia she's got some at the funeral home um i've made one i'm ready for it i have a bunch of bandanas i can clearly use from yeah. my good old hippie days and so they're ready to roll but yeah, yeah i'll do it um yeah. You know, I want to model it and show, even though we don't have a whole lot of cases in Wyoming and or Laramie, I'd like to keep it that way. Yeah. Yeah. No, when Tara and I went out, we went out and uh, made a run. I ran out of rum <laughs> and was running low on, on beer that I wanted. So we went down and visited Ben at the still, right? But, uh, you know, we went through it and we didn't have, I didn't have a bandana. So we got like uh, like a ski buff, right? Okay. This is the thing. I grow that big, uh, that big ski beard, man, specifically so I don't have to wear that stupid buff, right? I'm like, 
going through, I felt like I was being strangled, like I couldn't breathe. <laughs> but, well, like the way, like when they said you can use bandanas, I was like, oh, I'm gonna look like a bank robber. Like, yeah, yeah, that's big. Oh, let me go into the liquor store with a mask. That's, yeah. that's <laughs> like a good, uh, good plan. Well, they're right. saying the big old beards are not good because you can get yeah potato in them from other people. I had, I had a, I had a, I had a good one going down, but then. I was like, well, ski season's over, um, and there's no one to be impressed by my magnificent beard uh, because Tara's about over the magnificent beard. So it also seems to be a COVID risk. So we'll knock it down and. Uh, good, good. Yeah. Well, I, well, I got one last question. I ask everyone this one because it's called all my friends. Right. How did we meet? Rude. I was. I don't know. I was just thinking about that. I was trying to think about like how. What. What was the first time I got introduced to you? And I don't even remember. Right. I think you know. So hanging out with, uh, with, Ray and uh, Bert and Hannes, and we were going out and sort of um, going downtown and stuff like that. And it, eventually, like just at some point, like you. I think drifted into the drifted in the scene. I think it was probably at Lovejoy's. Probably, I think you were probably uh, doing your thing there. I, I think I think it was probably. If I had to guess, I can't. I I don't have a specific memory, but I would be willing to sort of better chance than not. It was we had gone to Lovejoy's, uh, probably like on a Thursday or something like that, and you were uh, sort of doing your thing. There. I don't. I wasn't DJing then when I met you. Um, no. I moved back in 2003, yeah, and you were working at Crisis Center, right, Cathedral Home. Yeah, yeah, Crisis Center, but Crisis then also Cathedral Home, yeah. Um, with Ray and Robert and them. And I was like, you know, newly single from being married and right. out in my hometown, in my old hometown. And I think I had a, a month buffer before like, took a job at university. So I was a sweet, sweet drinking hot mess. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I had a blast. And then when Ray moved to Vegas, I became DJ at Lovejoy's. And that's where kind of I became part of that crew of like. Is, is that, is that true? Like you didn't, you didn't. It was. You weren't doing anything there at Lovejoy's? Before. No, like 2003. Yeah. Till beginning 2004, or not to begin, yeah, 2004, uh, fall, I became the DJ at Lovejoy's. Huh. Because it was that? Chris Leger was the DJ when I was before me. Okay. You see, that, like, this, is, this is, you know what, this is a nice uh, psychology uh, demonstration of me having what I thought very clear memories of you of being there, but I went to Buffalo in the fall of 20, uh, 2004, so I wasn't there. Uh, really? Yeah. I thought it, you were around I, at least I, that I, I could have completely constructed this memory of you uh, sort of being there. I don't think so, but maybe. I thought you were there in 2004. I was there in the spring of 2004. I started in Buffalo in the fall of 2004. Okay. Hmm. Maybe you're back during my first year as a DJ. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, and I did, yeah. did come back, you know, a couple of times. So that might be it. But because I, yeah, I definitely remember you be after Red left. Um, because you knew like Bunch and Coach, yeah, 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 yeah. all those guys. 
all the small town boys from northern Wyoming, as I like to call them. You gonna you gonna get those guys on for? A, for I a hope so. Time? I hope so. Rob moved down to Florida. He's yeah. down on South Beach now, so okay. I see what he's up to. Definitely get on the podcast. Everybody seems to be home now, so it's always a good. Yeah. Time <laughs> so to catch up. Got things going on. You back false. I, that's a that's a lie. I know it is. Or home. I understand. Well, like some people get out there and or like they work during the day and they're like us oh, kind of tough to do an interview and then like myself i was like i'm not going to sit down yet and do an interview during the day just because i actually have real work to do but weekends <laughs> and nights sure not wrong i love it it's fine um well that's all i have for the podcast do you got anything you want to promote put out there no man I <laughs> no i got i got i got i got I got nothing to, uh, I've, I've got no products out right now. Um, to, uh, <laughs> I've got no upcoming films or anything like that to promote. So if we haven't sold the university of Wyoming in our, in our talk, I don't know how we, else we could sell it. Oh, right. So hey, people, <laughs> we've, we both came out of it, this place with degrees. We right. both worked back here. We've both left. In, in six out. years, right? Like I, I was, a, I was on a six year program too. I, I, I took my time. No reason to, it's not a race. If if there are any students listening to that, it's no oh. hands you a prize for being first, right? Like there's this is what I ran into. My friend that graduated four years, Wheat. He was the first one to do it in four years out of all my crew of friends. He was like, What do I do? And I was like, I don't know. I still got school. I'm gonna be a college kid for a little longer. Go do real world stuff. And he kind of freaked out, like, You guys aren't coming with me? And we're like, No, we got some time. And like he had a tough go of it because he won he saw us still in college doing yeah. college stuff. And he was like, I got to do a job now. And then it was slowly and slowly everybody else. I know it feels like you got a lot of stuff to do when you're an undergraduate. Trust me. You don't like you've got yeah. tons of time and it's fantastic. So make progress, be a good student, but like, don't, I wasn't, I wasn't a big fan of taking anything more than like 15 hours. That was kind of like my max. Like, oh. Yeah. Oh no, I couldn't. Like 12 to 15, feel like 15 felt like a, like I was owned by the university. Like I was yeah. there a ton of time. And well, and it was generally probably in your major. Yeah. Well, I, I, I dropped Spanish because I had 15 hours. I was like, and Spanish is hard because I'm aggressively unilingual. And so I was like, I was, I was doing all right. I was getting like yeah. a D in it, but I was like, ah, I withdraw. And they're like, why did you do that? I'd be like, ah, seems like a lot. I'll just drop down to 12 and just... <laughs> I always like, I know I learned college Spanish, but if you put me in Spain, I probably could hang, but you put me in <laughs> Tijuana, Mexico. And I'm what did they just say real fast? So I understand uh, Spanish a whole lot more than like I can speak it fluently. Weirdly enough, Mexican half Mexican girlfriend yeah. doesn't understand as much Spanish as I do. <laughs> so I have to like, She'll kind of look at me and I'll be like, you're good. They even talk shit or anything. Like, and so they're always like, when people speak Spanish around me, they're always shocked. That I'm like, I'll whip around if I catch something like a phrase yeah. or anything. Like, oh, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I do. And luckily he didn't insult me or anything like that. But yeah, Spanish was tough. It took a lot of time. Stats crushed me. That's yeah. also because I, I had a very uh, robust social life. Yeah. And morning classes just didn't work all the time. That happens. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not hating on anybody who who misses that that 9 a.m. class, right? You figure you got your own agenda. There are things going on outside of Psych 1000, but 
if you don't do well, that's sort of a decision you have to make, right? You sort of balance your priorities, but. Uh, I had one a biology class my freshman year of college, first semester, eight o'clock. I was like, yeah, I can do this. I went to class at eight o'clock during uh, K through 12. Not a problem. Problem because my social life was a lot of fun. Yeah. And, but the only reason I made it to that class and it saved me was, well, the lab later, that saved me. I'm good at the hands-on lecture stuff kind of was rough. Good looking girl. And I followed from the dorms to my class and I would sit behind her and that got me to class and somehow the information soaked in because I was there. But yeah, that's the only way I passed it. Find her and send her, send her a nice note. <laughs> I think I did later in college because she was like a track athlete. And eventually I was like, I shot all video for everybody. But so by the time she was a senior, we shot senior tape. So I'm sure I was like, by then I was very open social butterfly with my words so i was probably yeah. like yeah i used to follow you she's like oh my gosh that's so nice it was funny like in in, in the least creepiest ways that could be right yeah yeah <laughs> like at least i didn't make like highlight tapes of her or anything like right. that. i have a sweet highlight tape of you at home but people did that like yeah i don't even want to get into the whole psychology of weirdos that run cameras at sporting events but yeah yeah happens yeah well, thanks, man, for being my podcast. Right. It'll probably drop here in the next week or so. Okay, cool. I hope to get more into some other interviews as such. But um, thanks, man. Now, as this quarantine goes on and on, I will try and bring Josh back to the show. We can talk about the psychology of people's minds that have been isolated for weeks. Now, if you're a friend of mine and you want to talk about your life on this show and I haven't contacted you already, hit me up, text me, email me, Facebook me, Twitter me, Instagram me, Snapchat me, PM me, DM me. We can talk. On to the next episode.